Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, friend. Thanks for showing up to work. You know, tonight is a special night. The night the Drew Blood podcast reaches double digits. Episode 10. And they said it couldn't be done. Well, I say fuck them. See that? Even Chester's happy for us. If only he understood his days were numbered. Don't mind him. Come on inside, friends. Have a seat. I'll just be a second. Mm. Well, that's better, baby. Hey, you know what they call these things in England? I just heard this, and I could barely believe my ears. (sighs) They call them cigarettes. Same as here, you daffy-ass bastard. So smoke them if you got them, and drink those glasses to the bottom. Because that crazy bastard drew blood as a tell-to-tell. This is Season 1, Episode 10 of Drew Blood. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from my audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today and get instant access from our friends at Tealing Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. And hey, we accepting the submissions. If you got a tale or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to DrewBloodHorror at gmail.com. If you're selected, you'll be forced at gunpoint to sign a release form. Then you'll get the full treatment. Don't that sound nice? And it's go time. In celebration of our double digits, we're beginning a two-parter tonight. A fresh take on some old winter mythology by author David Montano. Montano. Montano? How the... Well, let's see here. Uh, hang on just a minute. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, hello? 
Uh, hey, Jeff. What's happening? Hey, how do you pronounce this author's last name, goddammit? Montano? Montano? What is that? Uh, I think it's Montano. Montano? Okay. Well, you, he ain't going to get pissed or anything if we get it wrong, will he? I don't think so. He seems like a pretty good-natured fella. All right. Well, I appreciate it, bud. No problem. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> you too. Oh, I will. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. All right, well, I think we got that settled. I just really hate to fuck up a person's last name. I mean, you'd be surprised how many times people fuck up my last name. I get blue-eyed, blued, blowed. Matt, you'd be surprised how bad someone can mess up blood. Anyway, this is a retelling of Jack Frost. This story takes place all the way across the pond. And by that, I mean some pond in Texas. I'm not accustomed to driving on the left side of the road, so to speak. So, without further cold swallop and mucking about, I present to you, from author David Montano, part one of Frozen Souls. Chapter one, a chill in the air. Everyone has a moment in life where they claim to have frozen with fear. But unless you have stood in the presence of death, clawing your way out of the grave, the true gravity of that statement eludes you. Death is the master changeling, able to assume any and every form you can imagine. It can be as violent as a cannonball rending a man's head from his body in a gush of brain, bone, and blood, or as soft as a pillow pressed upon to suffocate. He came to me as a demon of winter, a demon as a boy. However, I'm getting ahead of myself. For you to understand, we must go back to the day I found myself face to face with him. Twas the 22nd of December, and the hustle and bustle of last-minute preparations for Christmas died down. Small glimpses of the evening sky aglow with vibrant orange and purple bands pierced a tangled mixture of chimney smoke and fog gave beauty to this drab gray city. However, the protective light of day had run its course, now giving way to the longest night of the year, the winter solstice. It would also be the darkest night of my life. It is under this reaper's cloak of the blackest night that I am forced to examine the very strength of my soul. And so we begin. Thought Pub always has shit ale. Arthur grumbled as we walked along the snow-dusted sidewalk. I can't believe he has the stones to charge a old penny for a tankard of that swill. Then perhaps you should keep your penny and spend it elsewhere. Margaret huffed back, rolling her eyes. I swear, it's always whining and complaining with you. Oh, I don't like the ale. It's not good enough for the likes of me, Lord of the Shipyard. Duke of the Dunghill. She mocked him, gesturing with her hands like someone of royal stock. His face flared red. If you don't like it, then have a tankard of water and shut it. <laughs> I coughed out a laugh, trying to conceal it with my hands. He paused for a moment. You got something to say, kid? He said, glaring back at me. N no, I don't, Arthur. My trembling lips managed. Then keep that hole in your face shut. Or I'll fill it with my fist, he said, shoving his knuckles right up under my nose. I nodded, and he turned around and started walking again. 
Why on earth would I drink the water here? He asked Margaret, as though the interruption didn't occur. Between the shit and piss, rubbish and mudlockers wading through looking for a coin or a button, that water may as well be the river Styx. It will ferry you on to your death soon as you drink it. At least ale is a mite cleaner, and much tastier. If it tastes so much better, then enjoy it, and stop flapping your gums about how shit it is, Margaret retorted. Arthur opened his mouth, but the words must have got lost because nothing came out. His wit often failed him in moments like this, and Margaret could read it all over his stupid face. She flashed her teeth in a grin ever so quickly, then regained her composure. And with that, the argument died. Arthur, Margaret, and I walked along Leanside Street with the rest of our treasure, four pennies between us. Not bad for a day as a pure finder, and after each having a tankard of ale. The tanners always paid children less than the adults for hauls of dog poo, even if we gathered just as much. They used the dog poo we gathered to purify the leather hide. It was essential to their process. Thus, the name Pure Finder stuck for this job. I had earned three pennies my first day of pure finding. I couldn't be happier, even though I had slipped and fallen in the horse muck once or twice. Picking dog poo out of the horse crap on the street sounds bad, but it's much better than going up chimneys. I swear to God, kids are always getting stuck in them. A six-year-old got stuck in one last week. He got wedged in so tight they couldn't pull him out. You could hear his screams billowing out of the chimney for a mile away for hours. I thought I was going to go mad. When night descended, it left the owners with no choice. They started the fire up, and the young chimney sweep's agony was palatable. His screams cut through the brick and mortar with ease for what felt like a week, but may have only been a couple of minutes. The smell permeated the entire block that night, as several people whispered about, still hearing him screaming in the walls in the middle of the night despite the child being dead already. I thank God I was not among those who had sworn they heard him as they slept. I looked down at my bounty for the day, my whopping two pennies, and I felt so happy that Arthur and Margaret had let me help them today. I'm sure I'll lose one to my aunt and uncle to prove I had gone out to earn my keep, but I'd stuff the other in my shoe. Maybe this time I'll be able to hold on to it. Last time Uncle Thomas lashed me across the backs of my legs, five with his belt for hiding a coin. While the lashing stung, the pain of having to endure a day with no meals has stayed with me far longer. I hope someone can take me in as an apprentice if I show I will do anything it takes. The tanner has shown interest, but my slight frame and scant muscle make managing the heavy animal hide quite difficult. Hi, kid. Are you there? Arthur backhands my shoulder. You never said where you found those buttons you used to pay for yours and Margaret's ale. With buttons like those, you probably could have gotten more than two tankards of ale, he growled in a condescending tone. I found them in the dust chute outside my aunt's house. It's so dumb how scared I am. I hate how afraid I sound all the time. Every morning I tell myself I'm going to stop letting people push me around and stop stuttering, and with one good shove, I revert to my old habits. You're lucky the dustmen didn't catch you. They would have cuffed you good and reported you to old man Corbin. 
That vulture would have taken you to the workhouse and claimed you were a troublesome orphan. He's done it before, Margaret said. Our neighborhood in the Nottingham Wharfs teetered precariously between a business hub brought in by the fairies and becoming overwhelmed by the crawlers. Those poor souls who were so desperate, they begged the slightly less poor for money. The ferrymen have even taken up knives or small billy clubs to ward off thieves and protect the cargo from the more aggressive crawlers. Last night, the snowstorm formed drifts that filled every corner and crevasse, forcing the homeless to huddle in any doorway or nook they could find. Arthur and Margaret debated how they would each spend their penny. I trailed behind them, observing the orchestra of our small harbor playing its last notes for the day. The symphony of clickety-clacking horse and carriage teams, crows calling as their glossy black eyes looked down on every move made, and street barkers competing to pull in the last customers of the fading day filled the air. Night soil men began pushing carts onto the streets to empty the latrines, privy closets, and septic tanks. Loose women patrolled our dark alleys, hoping to find a john which might allow them a warm bed for the night they needed, no matter what acts it took to secure it. If they could avoid turning to the workhouse for a meal and bed for the night, it would be well worth it. A deep dong, dong, dong reverberated in my soul as the bell at St. Mary's Church marked the hour. Four o'clock. It'll be getting dark rather soon. I wonder if my parents will come home tonight. Tonight marks the tenth day since I last saw them. I pushed the thought from my head as quickly as it sprung up. Approaching our street, we find a flock of kids standing on the sidewalk. A long, slick patch of ice near the curb created a daredevil slide for any lass or lad with the stones to give it a go. The slide atop Wellington Street, or the Wells as we called it, leading down into our overcrowded homes, offered a small reprieve from the day's hardships. Towering three-story brick homes stood on each side of us, squished together so tightly their door handles might pop off. Unfazed as ever by the smell of piss and shit hanging in the air, kids played carefree. A grin flashed over Arthur and Margaret as they shot each other a look. They ran over to the top of the hill to join in. The clacking of shutters against the coming night startled me, and the icy breeze sent a chill up my spine. One after another, the kids went careening down the slide, some on their bums and some daring to attempt their feet. I stood apart from the group, an outsider looking in, longing to be one of them. The fear of being mocked for clumsy or falling flat on my ass shackled me to the lamppost. The bells tolled half past four, and as an alarm had shrieked, kids began scattering for home. A dusty, portly woman nearby called down to us. Get indoors now before you catch your death. Jack Frost be coming soon, and you best not be out when he gets here. That's a load of bollocks, Arthur hollered back. Yeah, miss, save that rubbish for the babies. Margaret followed up for good measure. Well, I never. The mountainous woman gasped over dramatically, placing her hand upon her chest, feigning injury. How dare you speak to your elder that way? I hope Jack Frost gets the lot of ye. You'll be the ones frozen in the streets, that you will. Turning her nose up with the final shake of a rug, the woman slammed the shutters against the approaching night and latched it tight. Quit holding up the line. Arthur punched the arm of the next kid in line. 
He had a stocky frame he hadn't taken advantage of until his kid brother died two winters back. Death was all around us in the harbors. However, losing his little brother had been Arthur's first personal encounter with death. It had made him angry. Angry at his parents. Angry at his little brother for going and dying. Angry at himself for not saving him. Just angry. After swallowing that bitter fruit, he wanted everyone to feel his pain. Despite his demeanor, people sought his company and his approval. Who's next? Come on, quit doodling. Oh, shut it, Arthur. Margaret spoke louder than her small stature should have allowed. He shot her a look but said nothing. She could always make the boy's hands clammy with a glance. Every boy on our block wanted to hold her hand, kiss her, hell, even get slapped by her. She was perfectly cute with crystal blue eyes, blonde hair, and curves that her clothes could no longer hide. It's like the dirt and muck of sifting through poo or scouring the ash for trinkets didn't even stick to her. Plenty of lads already tasted the sting of staring at her chest for too long. Having three older brothers had toughened her up. There wasn't much that frightened her. She was the flame, and we were the moths. Then there was me. I was a timid short stack, clinging to anyone that would tolerate my presence. Scruffy black hair, brown eyes, dirt cake skin, and patchy ill-fitting clothes repelled any potential friends. I was the antithesis of Margaret and Arthur. From the day my parents and I moved here, Arthur and Margaret topped the popularity list. Then there was everyone else, and beneath two feet of crap under that, there was me. Two unattractive underachievers bred me, and I was born an unattractive underachiever. My father took whatever meager work he could find, sorting through rubbish, shoveling shit, anything to make some coin. My mom would sew sacks or pick oakum. She might bring home two pennies on a good day. Our residency with Aunt Bertha and Uncle Thomas existed on a knife edge. It wasn't a proper week without them threatening to turn us out onto the streets. By some miracle, boiling tempers would cool and the ultimatum dropped. I never knew what magic softened their demeanor and permitted us to stay time and time again. Perhaps they value our kinship more than our worth and more than we deserve. Arthur, Margaret, and I remained at the top of the cobblestone and chute, suddenly all alone. The violet dome of the sky stretching out over us, adorned with tiny silver buttons, stood the sole item of beauty in our dingy corner of Nottingham. I stood there on the sidewalk, pondering my unusual family situation, marveling at the majesty of the heavens, soaking it all in. Interrupting my moment of awe and reverence was a crunch in my left ear and a burst of colors exploding before my eyes. Pain wrecked my left ear in a tidal wave. I glimpsed the stone, skipping down the sidewalk after its assault, making a soft landing in a snow mound. D damn it, Arthur! You asshole! What the hell was that for? Blood oozed, and I covered the agitated nerves with a gloved hand. When I call you, you answer me, Ollie. Got it? Arthur bent down for more ammunition. Now the way I see it, you're not leaving till you reach the bottom of that hill. Oh, and if you call me asshole again, the next time I'll break your nose. I d didn't even hear you 
calling me you arse? His nostrils were flaring as his eyes narrowed and locked on mine. Words seized in my throat as I lowered my eyes and cut my wound, acknowledging my defeat. Oh, hell. Just let him go home if he wants, Arthur. Margaret rolled her eyes. We'll be here all night if we wait for him to reach the bottom still standing. Plus, we have that other errand. And if I'm home late, I won't get supper tonight. Fine. I'll do it. Just put down the bloody stones. I sighed. Well, I'm shocked, kid. When did you get a spine? He smirked. Did, do you see Quitter tattooed on me forehead? I asked. No, just loser. I'm surprised it's not, though. You're always pissing off, Arthur said. Shoving my way through Arthur and Margaret, I approached the slope. I'll make it to the bottom of this bloody hill on my feet, damn it. Swallowing the rock of fear building in my throat, I shoved off. Wanting to prove yourself to your bully doesn't magically improve one's skills, though. Halfway down the path, I loud pierced the steel night air. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And all went black. Let's get out of here. He's probably dead. A boy's voice said, echoing in my rattled ears. If you're afraid, then piss off. A distorted feminine voice retorted. I'm not wearing cuffs because this fuckwit went ass over tits. Arthur's voice came into focus. What a prick. A labor groan puffed from my lips as a lanky gent looked down on me from atop his ladder, where he opened the glass door and lit the street lamp. Small fireworks exploded across my vision. My fingers found the golf ball growing out of the back of my head. Time slide, I muttered. Shit, Ole. I thought you were halfway across the river, sticks. Arthur gloated. You're pretty useless, all right. You can't even slide a eel, for God's sake. Oh, shut it, fatty. You can't make it either. Margaret elbowed his well-cushioned ribs and extended a hand to help me up. Call me fatty again, then... He started. Oh, you'll do what? My brothers would love to beat the crap out of you, she said, snapping her head back to me. Go home, kid. 
before you end up at the coffin maker's shop. You'll better be getting home. <coughs> Jack Frost be coming soon, and you won't escape. <coughs> With your life or your soul. The lamplighter croaked as he stepped down. He freezes your body like a statue and devours your soul. <coughs> you don't go to heaven or hell. You go into a black pit of nothingness. Forever. Really? Do you find that lot of bollocks at the bottom of your paint? Dear God, I can smell the ale from here. Margaret snapped. You can't even dress yourself. Your buttons are all wonky and mismatched. Yet you believe you are so wise you could save us from a boogeyman. Sod off, you stupid git. I thought I was the only one that could pick up the smell of a drunkard from that far away. It's my parents' favorite choice of cologne and perfume. Fine, but it's your death. If you hear... If you hear a whistle in the wind, though, it's already too late. <laughs> He's found you, and he won't stop unless, unless you make it into your own homes. <laughs> the lamp ladder hiccuped with a squeal as he mounted his bike, wobbling as he began pedaling away until the shadows swallowed him whole. A cold chill reached down to the marrow in my bones, causing my skin to break out in goose flesh. It slipped through my last Christmas's worn-out gloves with little effort. God help me. I need a newer pair that blocks some of the cold out. Based on the ale stench last time I saw my parents, a full belly and a new pair of gloves would be a stretch for Christmas this year. My legs began to find themselves again, and I blinked, trying to put the world back in place. What is with everyone in this Jack Frost crap? Arthur asked. People around here have always been superstitious. You know that, Margaret said. With all the death and illness, but it's been ridiculous tonight. Hey, do you hear that? I asked, measuring the nod on my head with my palm. If it's you whimpering like a pansy, then yeah, it's coming in loud and clear. <laughs> Arthur chuckled. No, that's not it. I kept my voice low, hoping not to lose it. Ah, your marbles are all scrambled. Who knows what you're hearing? He shrugged. Shh, I cut in, turning my ear and listening to the wind. Oh, I don't hear anything, kid. Margaret rolled her eyes as she shook her head. Just... A faint whistle caressed our ears. Our eyes darted to each other before scanning the empty streets. It came again. A harmonic resonance that hit our bones like a tuning fork. Oh, bloody hell. It's the drunkard on his bike having a bit of sport with us, that's all. Arthur grumbled. Then how come I can hear it coming from the other direction, stupid? Margaret asked with a tremble. That's weird. I hear it behind us. My breath left quivering lips in puffs of white clouds. I've come off it. Quit pulling my leg, you two. The big brute snapped. Maybe it is time to head home, Margaret said as she turned to head up the street. On a normal night, she would look for any excuse to avoid her dank dwelling. The constricting two-room apartment on the first floor of her building offered her more than what most of the lower class received. She went to bed warm every night and on most nights had food to quell her growling stomach, but she was always treated more like a pet than a daughter. She could hear her brothers taunting her now. There are only two rooms in the house, 
Mum and Dad share one, and we share, the three of us, share the other. You just take up space on the couch and eat up the food that the rest of us could split. Her oldest brother, Tim, would prod her through a smirk. Yeah, you're not even our proper sister. Our parents took you out of the arms of a woman who died leaning against our wall. Her middle brother, Bob, piled on. Ain't you ever noticed you don't look like us? Tim chimed back in. When are you going to run away for good? Walter, the youngest, would ask. She would stand there biting her tongue, willing the tears back, and thus deny her brothers their victory. Tonight felt different, though. There was a pressure to it, a charge in the air making every hair stand on end. All she could think about now was the couch she slept on shoved into the corner of the living room. All her belongings were kept in an old lettuce crate. Even though she envied her brothers for the bedroom they shared, it didn't matter right now. Alarm bells were screaming in her brain. The pit in her stomach filled with the desire to curl up on her couch. Sparing no other words, she strode off. A light crackling started all around us as the slush froze before our eyes. Breathing in stung like inhaling a thousand tiny chilled needles as my water-soaked gloves crystallized and stiffened. My heart leaped to my throat as for just an instant, my frozen gloves resisted the movement of my fingers before finally giving way with a crunch of ice. The wave of cold dug its claws into my flesh and I knew it was time to get the hell out of there. Wait up! I hollered. Then we heard it. Chapter 2 A Chill Up My Spine A faint whisper came in the wind. Terror lanced into our hearts, and each of our jaws fell open as we gawked in disbelief. The three of us stopped dead in our tracks and began scanning the darkness for the source of the voice. Hey, whoever's screwing with us? Arthur's lips quivered. I'll be freezing off your toes. The approaching whisper gained in both clarity and weight. You're not funny, whoever you are. Arthur's trembling voice continued. Whoever you are, you got a real dark sense of humor, using old Jack Frost bit to try scaring us. That shit may work on the littles, but we're not frightened of your ass. Arthur shouted into the emptiness. His eyes darted every which way. A shiver and some terror. Let you know, Jack Frost is here. The voice grew heavy and oppressive, bombarding us from all directions, and my knees buckled under its weight. Regaining my composure, I looked up to see two saucer-dish-sized eyes streaming with tears blur past me. It took another moment to register the whimpering. It took another moment to register that Arthur had bolted with all the terrifying speed he could muster. If you try to turn around, when you hear my icy sound. Unnatural mouths bloomed in our shadows, singing in unison with the malevolent voice. 
I'm sure to catch your stare. Then you'll know Jack Frost is here. Glowing blue irises opened on all three of our shadows, causing our joints to lock. Arthur slid to a halt, stuck in his full sprint position. Toothy grins that were much, much wider than they should be expanded across the shadow forms. They began to peel up off the ground like sheets of paper. Stifled moans and sobbing came from Arthur up the road, and each two-dimensional figure craned its head unnaturally to find the source. The whines grew louder with each set of eyes that locked in on Arthur. Attempting to move my legs proved to be a fool's errand. Not wanting to draw the attention of these horrifying silhouettes, I relaxed into their grip, hoping an opportunity would yet present itself. How truly lucky I must be tonight to have three new friends to play with. The voice sliced through the silence cleaner than a sickle through wheat. It wasn't the heavy, booming voice from earlier. There was something different about it now. Childlike, jovial anticipation. I could almost hear him dancing with excitement. A ripping sound issued from the base of our shadows, followed by a loud pop as each figure inflated and freed itself. Whoa! Hey! What the hell? Arthur said an instant before the crunch of face meeting stone. Holy shit, kid! We can move again! Margaret said, snapping her head in my direction. Damn it, Margaret! My name is Ollie! Ollie, for Christ's sake, stop calling me kid. Chuckling echoed off the surrounding houses, and the steel night air shifted with startling speed. Moving as one, the three shadow creatures turned to look at each other. Their grins widened, showing far too many teeth. Guttural chuckling grew as wind and snow whirled around them in a towering vortex. As their heads elongated and joined with the wind, I could hear the chattering of my teeth under the crazed laughter. My fingers twitched and my leg muscles strained against my fear-frozen joints. Every fiber of my being screamed for me to sprint the entire block and a half to my aunt and uncle's house. Having already felt these dark creatures seize control of my body, the task seemed like a pipe dream. I may as well try running from here to London. I'd probably have the same chance of making it. Staring into the torrent, I caught glimpses of the three separate beings melting into a single form. Margaret, where... where can we hide? I croaked, expecting her fear and survival instinct to take over her cool kid persona and provide a genuine answer. It didn't. All at night, stupid, she huffed. A flash of movement in my peripheral vision pulled my attention to my neighborhood bully running down the middle of the street. A dark streak forming down the inner legs of his trousers as he fled. Of the three of us, he was the only one who could see his front door from where he stood. Tatars is going to get himself killed. The quivering lip and tremble in Margaret's voice illuminated the fear hiding beyond her veil of bravery. The hysterical chuckling mutated into an animalistic and primal cry that sent a wave of goose flesh up my body. And I knew right then... This thing standing before me would never let me see the light of day again. Without warning, the twister exploded. 
all sounds fell away, and the snowflakes hung in midair. The figure that now stood before me chilled the very marrow of my bones. What stood before me was the furthest thing from what I expected. A pair of grimy, dirt-stained bare feet rested on the frozen cobblestones. Each gnarled digit ending with jagged and blackened nails. Tracing up his bare shins, I could see several small wounds with trails of dried blood frozen to his skin. A pair of tattered trousers torn just below his knees, and given their condition, they would provide little defense against the cold. His short bore more holes than a block of Swiss cheese, and the oversized vest was passed down from an older relative. Near transparent flesh on his hands did little to mask their skeletal structure and could easily be mistaken for claws. His cadaverous pair of arms attached to the claw hands led to his hollow-cheeked face. At the sight of that face, my blood ran cold. The visage of this boy matched my own. If not for the bloodthirsty look in his eyes and the impossibly wide smile beneath the tangled mop of hair atop his head, this boy could be my twin. A soft click, click, click broke through the trance he held me in, and I caught sight of Arthur, still fleeing for all he was worth. Leaving so soon, Arthur? Where are you going, big brother? Jack asked, mimicking the voice of Arthur's little brother. Come and play, brother. A look of horror painted Arthur's face as he whirled his head around so fast it threw off his balance. Looking back at the adolescent abomination, he was unaware of the curb that would be his demise. The step all but reached up and grabbed his foot. He fought hard to avoid toppling over, but it was too late. The bone-splintering crack echoed down the street, chased quickly by cries of agony. Arthur's shin snapped like a twig after colliding with the corner of the brick wall bracketing the staircase to his front door. The bone jutted out of the fresh hole of his trousers as he wailed. In his twelve years of life, nothing had ever inflicted the level of pain bombarding his senses right now. Steam rose from his warm flesh into the frigid night air. Gathering his wits, Arthur used his hands and a good leg to shuffle to the landing base. Crawling like a wounded crab, he rose step by step, resting his butt on each plateau to reposition his hands. As I watched him reach the top step, Jack craned his head towards me with a series of cracks and pops that made my stomach turn. Hold still. We shall play together soon, Jack said in his borrowed voice, <laughs> licking his lips and fixing his eyes on Margaret, snapping his head around, locking in on his prey before launching forward so swiftly. The only thing I could see was the trail of ice he left in his wake. In the blink of an eye, the frigid spirit was standing over his wounded prey. The neighborhood bully lay five feet from his front door, his whimpering filling the still night air. Cold, luminous blue eyes were now looking Arthur over while Jack quivered with excitement. Honestly, did your mom and dad neglect to teach you proper etiquette? You don't run off and leave your little brother. You may give your little brother the wrong impression. Hell, you may even make him think you don't love him. Tears began streaming down Arthur's face. <laughs> You're not him, damn it. You're not my little brother. 
You're not Oscar! Arthur screamed with every ounce of willpower he had left. An icy hand gripped a trembling 12-year-old's shoulder as snow flurries arose and encircled the pair. He raised his arm in a final feeble attempt at self-defense. The limb stiffened and froze in its newly raised position. Arthur's face poised to shriek, but nothing came out of his gaping jaw. It would appear the responsibility falls on me to teach you some manners, Jack said through a toothy grin. A forceful grip clapped around my wrist and yanked me from the patch of cobblestone. I was still too afraid to move from there. Now is our chance, stupid. We have to run for it, kid, Margaret whispered fiercely. I looked from the hand clamped down on my arm up to her. Streaks of brown ringlets flowing in the chilly night air. It took me a minute to realize my legs were keeping pace with the frantic girl pulling me along. Running won't save you. I'll come find you as soon as your mate here is good and frozen. <laughs> Jack chuckled, no longer using the borrowed voice of Arthur's kid brother. This is the wrong way. We ought to save Arthur, I said, trying to make my voice sound tough. She stopped as we reached the top of the slope next to the beginning of the slide. A slap stung my right cheek. You feel like getting yourself killed? Be my guest, kid. But I'm getting my ass home. There is an alley just over here to the right that runs the full length of the street. It's sure to have plenty of hiding places, too. I can almost see me door, and your aunt lives three doors down from the end of the alley. I'm going to make it. You can head down the slide and go save Arthur. If you feel like dying. An excruciating cry drew my attention back to Arthur. Snow whirled around the landing to his front door. However, the sheen of ice coating his torso creeping outward in all directions made my decision all too clear. Jack looked back at me and aimed his palm my way. My eyes widened and I ducked so fast I nearly fell. An icy ripple whizzed over my head with a whistle and hit the street lamp, shattering the glass and glazing the metal frame in a thin layer of ice. Margaret yanked me toward the alley with more strength than her slender female frame should have allowed. We ducked into the murky void of the alleyway. The thinly veiled crescent moon did little to illuminate the trail in front of us. Somewhere off in the distance, Arthur's howling came to an abrupt stop. Hey, kid, why the bloody hell can't you pull your head out your ass? I feel like I'm yanking along a bunch of dead weight. She snapped at me. Look, Margaret, it's not like I watch kids get frozen to death every day. So sawed off. I shouted back with no hint of a stutter. Where had that come from? You'd be dead already if I left you alone. I saved your skin twice now, and you know it, she said folding her arms. Well then, I better keep my eye open so I don't stumble over your guilt trip and die. Her eyes narrowed as my words puffed into the night. Where is this brazen version of me coming from? Might as well keep pushing it. Now, if you're quite done, we can creep along the wall to the end of the alley and make our way back up the block to our houses. I gestured as I laid out my plan. Fine, but so help me God, I'm going to kick your ass if you get us killed. Her hair whipped around as she snapped her head and marched off. 
Stick to the shadows. And maybe they'll have trouble tracking us down. I muttered, half hoping she wouldn't hear and would get herself caught. Of course I will, you twit. She grumbled back. Con... What? I said haunt. He's on the haunt, I said, louder than intended. I was grateful she wasn't Jack. The look she shot at me over her shoulder would have frozen me in place for sure. I'm quite sure. You're praying us. Her retort came just above a whisper. A whistle in the air snapped both of our heads skyward, scanning for any trace of Jack. We refocused on the task at hand and inched our way down the dank hallway. As I stepped around the catch bell for one of the building waste pipes, a fresh wet plop hit the overfull bucket and ran off the mound of human excrement. It hit the ground just before my shoe, sending my foot sliding into the bucket, knocking it over with a metallic ring that echoed like a church bell. Decaying fecal matter spilled out everywhere. The scent filled our nostrils. I leapt away from the bucket, trying desperately to create some distance between myself and the beacon drawing the frigid fiend to us. Jack's whistling came faster and louder as the corner of the alleyway stood just paces away. I'm getting close. I can feel it. His voice sounded nearly on top of the alleyway opening. A whoosh of cold air came blasting from behind me. I spun around to see if he was there but found nothing. I turned around to find Margaret missing. A pair of specters flashed overhead and I jumped behind a waste bin. Slowly I raised my head, hoping I wouldn't reveal my position. My eyes scanned up the building where I found two of Jack's shadowy forms perched on the rooftops like gargoyles, twisting their heads sideways, each looking down at me, salivating as they smiled. <laughs> we found you, they said, giggling in unison. <laughs> Chapter 3 Chilled to the Bone I swallowed the stone in my throat, my eyes darting back and forth between the two reapers standing over me and down the alley to any viable escape route. How does he know to hide in the shadows, Jack? The figure spoke in unison. I don't know, Jack. They answered in unison. I cast my gaze on the road beneath me and found myself in my shadow cloaked in the building I braced against. What do they mean? Can they see me? My expression must have made my thoughts very clear since they answered my questions right away. Oh, of course we can see you. We have eyes, you dumb arse. We also felt your warmth against our gust of wind. However, we are unable to attach to you if you don't cast a shadow, and we don't like that. The voices morphed from childlike innocence into a sinister hiss. The soft click-click-click of footsteps echoed off the walls behind me as the third shade approached from behind me. His hands tucked where pockets should be, but in the uniform tone of darkness, I could make no distinction. He strode down the middle of the alley as though it was a whimsical walk through a park. Why flee like a rodent from the light? The question hung in the air. I made no sudden movements, not knowing if it was a ploy to reveal my position. Oh, come now, Ollie. We can have a chat, can't we? 
My eyes went wide in surprise and my jaw fell slack. How did he know my name? Watching you turn the toughest kid in the neighborhood into an ice sculpture seems like a fair reason. Wouldn't you agree? My lower lip trembled. Half of me was afraid as every alarm bell and whistle inside me sounded, but the other half was curious. Goose flesh rippled across my body as I could feel the warmth leaving the surrounding area. Fair point, but he was a prick, was he not? Perhaps, but he wasn't always that way. The death of his brother made him like that, I said as I stood slowly from my curled posture. Or maybe me killing his brother brought his true personality to light. I gave him the excuse to shrug off the cloak and become who he was on the inside. Think about it. Did he even once try to help you or the girl you were with? He asked, finally coming to a stop in front of me. The other two shadows still stood over me, one watching like snakes coiled and ready to strike. The other scanned the streets for Margaret with jittery frantic movements. You killed his brother? Why would you do that? I sidestepped toward the street slowly. It's quite simple. He took his brother's law for granted, so I took it from him. I took it to make him realize the gift he had squandered. <laughs> the only visible feature was his way too wide smile full of crooked yellowing teeth. I didn't have to see the smile on his face to know he was telling the truth. The giddy tone in his voice said it all. You didn't kill him. He fell through the ice of the river just over yonder, I said, hoping to distract him from me taking another step. I am aware of this. His grin somehow widened. I am the one who broke the ice. <laughs> it annoyed Arthur that his little brother tried to tag along with him to the woods. He headed out there to meet your little girlfriend, who is also seen to run off on you. <laughs> he took a step. She is not my girlfriend, I huffed back. Oh, clearly. She doesn't even call you by name. She just calls you kid. <laughs> well, Arthur told his kid brother to wait for him at the river and left him there, alone and cold. I attached myself to him through a shadow, as I did with you, struggling to yell and scream for his big brother. I thought his hero would come to his rescue, so I indulged him. Oscar cried out to the forest, begging for his big brother to save him. And you know what happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. His hero never came. He was too busy kissing a whore. <laughs> well, did it ever occur to you that I didn't hear him? I proposed. Pointing to one of the shadowy minions crouching on the roof, he continued. I dispatched him into the woods to find Arthur. He was hiding right next to them. He watched their faces as the boy's cries reached them. Arthur told her he had to go see what his stupid little brother had done. She convinced him he was fine. Probably a little scared of being alone, but still fine. 
He turned to walk away, the huddled goblins on the roof said in harmony. She told him if he stayed, he could grope a chest, the twin voices continued. Then he turned back to the girl and ignored the lost cries for help from his brother Oscar. He traded the life of his kinsman to grab a small lump of flesh. Oi, they aren't that small, you jerk! Margaret's voice broke the silence and snapped all three shadowy heads to the open into the street. (sighs) Oh shit, she mumbled and began running for home. The two golems looked down at the figure standing before me. He nodded, and they leaped off the roof after her. After a couple of minutes of yelling, I put the child out of his misery and broke the ice, plunging him into the frigid pond below. (laughs) He gave a valiant effort for his scrawny frame and a scant amount of meat on his bones. When Arthur decided to give a shite, and investigate the absence of the cries for help, he found his brother clinging to the ice ledge. The wailing and anguish from the depths of Arthur's soul as he pulled the corpse from the water was a delicacy I don't often get to partake of. (laughs) The sadistic grin constructed of yellow and pitted teeth in the darkened void's face hung in the air like a decaying moon and etched itself in my memory forever. Why? White-hot rage rose in me, and tears rolled down my cheeks, dropping free off my chin, the droplets freezing solid before shattering on the impact. He snickered in my face. Why not just kill Arthur and Margaret for being arseholes and leave innocent little Oscar alone? The words slithering through the gaps in my clenched teeth. I balled my fist up so tight they went numb. I wanted to snatch that smile out of the air and break it in two. That should be obvious. No one is innocent. Humans never truly give a damn about each other unless it betters their situation. My mom and dad never gave two shits about me after she was born. My little sister Belle became the center of their affections the second she arrived. They cast me to the side like a mongrel, left to pick at the scraps of their love. They would shower Belle with praise and lavish gifts of clothes and toys. My father would box my ears and beat me with a strap for asking for a proper portion of food, a warmer blanket, or any equal treatment at all. Though there were no features but the floating mouth, I could see the pain and anger. I relaxed my fists as I realized they were tingling but kept my guard up. Years passed in this way. I watched perfect little Belle get doted upon while I got flogged and forgotten. Belle bloomed radiantly while I wilted from being stifled and smothered, eating and sleeping in a dank coat closet with a single tattered wool blanket. I figured out how to bring them to their senses and prove once and for all that they really loved me. I would run away. I fled into the dark snowy night. After so many nights in that dreary courtroom, it was so refreshing to step out into an entire world shaded in darkness. I felt at home in it. 
His wild, toothy grin returned as the memory played out in his mind. My plan was simple. It was quite apparent that they took me for granted, and I sought to enlighten them in this fact. For three days I scraped by and put whatever food I could find in the empty well that was my stomach, but it barely made a dent in my hunger. Every night I waited for someone to come looking for me, or the reaper to take me. I huddled in the very corner you were in, teeth chattering to the edge of breaking, and cursing my family, cursing my luck. Hell, even cursing God for pushing me to this. Jack paced back and forth. The cold bit deep into my flesh that first night. Once the thrill of striking out and committing to my plan wore off, and reality set in, the cold was unrelenting. I didn't believe I would survive that long, chilly night. I must have passed out since the warmth of daylight breaking over my little alley woke me. A mound of snow covered me completely. I couldn't tell if I was numb or just acclimated, but there was no shivering anymore. No fingers turned blue or pain in my arms or legs. I had gotten quite lucky to have pulled through the first night so well. I stared quizzically at this three-dimensional shadow, telling me its life story when it was trying to kill me. Jack just continued with the story. I scrounged what I could for the second day, and even searched the bins looking for scraps, not sure why I still wanted to live anymore. The sun felt quite warm that day, and I took refuge in the shadows. After wandering all day, I returned to this spot. However, a snow mound piled up in the corner, so I used it as a pillow. As the sun sank into the abyss, the winds rose, howling all night. The second night felt colder and reached deeper into me. Winter itself was coursing through my bones. I held on to all the nights spent in that closet, stealing my mind. I was gripping my rage as tight as possible. I knew right then the only thing driving me forward was to return home and see the panic, chaos, and fear my absence had caused. I awoke the morning of my third day out on the streets, and the sun's rays stung like a hornet. My body was acclimated to the cold so well that the light and warmth hurt, or at least that was the assumption I made. From the safety of the alleyway, I begged for food and drink. Hell, even table scraps would have been welcome. As people often do, they strode right by me as though I didn't exist. For all my yelling and hollering for help all day, I never got so much as a glance. At the end of the third day, with the sun safely tucked away, I crept up to the landing to find my family enjoying supper, laughing, and making merry. They weren't searching for me. Hell, they weren't even missing me. The smile had faded, and Jack's fragile nucleus stood exposed in front of me. I stood before this powerful yet delicate entity, completely torn. The treatment he had endured at such a young age was heart-wrenching, and my soul ached for him. As terrible as that is, and believe me, it makes me sick to my stomach. It doesn't justify killing a small boy who idolized his idiot older brother. 
Oscar never wronged you and gave no provocation for you to act in the manner you did to him. My fist slacked only the slightest amount, confused by my conflicted emotions of sorrow and anger at him. Your anger rests with your family. Seek them out, and perhaps you can reconcile with them and find peace in the afterlife. It took only seconds to realize this plea was impossible. A pair of luminescent eyes surfaced from the depths of the shadowy face, and his teeth twisted into a maniacal grin. Oh, I reconciled my grievances with them. I waited till all was sufficiently dark, and everyone in the house was fast asleep. I broke off a long, sharp icicle and crept up to my parents' room. <laughs> I stood in the doorway, astonished to find Belle lying between my parents. Their hands stacked on one another, resting on their chest. Each with a happy, carefree expression on their faces made me sick. I gripped the icy dagger in my hand tighter, the cold, empty feeling in my soul mirroring that of the ice. I plunged a spike through both their hands and straightened to her heart. <laughs> His eyes shimmered with glee as he giggled, recounting the details of the night he murdered his family. I stood before Jack, numb, not from the cold, but rather the lack of humanity in the creature he had become. Pure joy radiated off him as the shadowy arm made repeating stabbing motions in the air. I stood there mulling over whether I could stab another person, let alone my parents or sibling, if I ever had one, and couldn't fathom going through with it despite the horrible treatment. He could have run away and started afresh in a new town with a new name. A parent's approval and love are kings in a child's heart, and they rule with an iron fist. I thought knowing how equally hard it would be to hate my parents for their actions and how their rehabilitation and love would be my most cherished treasure if it ever occurred. Snapping out of my thoughts, I honed back in on his story. <laughs> I delighted in the symphony of cries filling the room. <laughs> Shock, panic, pain, and sorrow made for such beautiful instruments, <laughs> all supporting the lead instrument of revenge. <laughs> My concerto was a masterpiece. <laughs> His eyes locked in on mine again, and he walked toward me, waves of frigid air rippling off him. I pulled the icicle out and drove it into my father's heart next. He stared down in disbelief, and grabbed my wrist with his good hand, screaming for my mother to run. Her eyes flashed at him, then back at me. Squeezing Belle's hand one last time, she rolled off the bed in her blood-stained white nightgown and made a run for it. It enraged me that she believed she could free herself from the retribution she deserved. She nearly got away, too. The chill in the air intensified with each step he took. His grin grew even wider and threatened to encircle his face if it continued to expand. The pipe in my hand had gone limp while being distracted by the tail, 
I clamped down on my weapon and readied myself for a potential strike from Jack. He glanced down at my makeshift weapon, paused for only a moment, and continued toward me as though I was holding a pillow. However, fate was on my side. As she turned to take one last look at my father before stepping out the door, I reached for her, and an icicle shot free of my palm and skewered her throat, pinning her to the wall with a loud thud and one final abbreviated scream. <laughs> we both looked incredulous as she attempted to gasp once or twice, but the chilly dagger blocked her airway. She reached up to remove the icicle, but as her hands landed on it, she slumped forward with eyes bulging from their sockets. My father's heart surrendered to the icy spike plunged through it, and I peeled my hand free from my murderous device. I had to rip his frozen hand from my wrist. I looked around the room at my gory magnum opus. Frost covered everything on the bed, including my sister's body. Any blood on the sheets or clothing had turned to ice. Waves of power pulsed within me, and my veins felt like they had ice water rushing through them. I bid the horrific monsters that were my family farewell and left that den of misery. Stepping outside feeling so incredible that night, I replayed the icicle shooting out of my hand and wondered how I did it. My new power felt intertwined with the winter cold, the snow, and ice. It felt wonderful to have been reborn. The nights I spent curled up in this dark alley, hating my family had changed me. My soul had become so dark and cold that I became a part of winter itself. I live off pain, fear, and torment. But the best part is, I love it. For a moment, only silence and tension but I found my voice and courage. You're not alive, Jack, I said, low but stern. What are you talking about? Of course I am, he retorted with his signature two-wide grin. I don't think you are. I think you died under the snow mound that first night, but the anger and hatred you had within your heart turned you into this malevolent spirit. How else do you explain all the things you can do? No human alive can turn into a shadow person and freeze things with a touch. Why do you think the sun and warmth hurt you during the day? I gave him a moment to digest this. They were just scorching hot days, he shot back in a snarky tone. Jack, you're dead. It horrified your parents being killed by some shadowy ghost or demon. They had no idea it was you. No, 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 you're wrong. He shouted at me. A scream broke through the air and Jack snapped his head toward the sound. Seeing my chance, I used the moment of distraction. I gripped a broken pipe and swung it over my head and brought it down with all the force I could muster. <coughs> Using his glowing eyes for a target, I lopped off the right half of his head. I thought the blow would pass right through the shadow but I connected with something, though I wasn't sure what exactly. The best way I can describe it is like hitting a snowball with a stick. It's not definitive, 
but you know you hit something. A trio of gut-wrenching cries filled the night sky, and I fled around the corner, headed toward the scream. Is it chilly in here or is it just me? That was part one of Frozen Souls by David Montano. Now we'll be doing part two next week, but if you just can't wait for the ending, I've got a little tip for you. Frozen Souls drops on Amazon on December 3rd. If you're listening on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, it's available right now. So check the link in the description and grab a copy of Frozen Souls by DJ Montano. Remember, when you support the authors, you support us too. No authors, no narrators. Man, you wouldn't want to do that to me, would you? Cast me off into oblivion? For $1.99, less than the price of a cup of coffee, you can read along with me next week. And if I screw up any lines, you can bust my balls. To yourself, I mean, or maybe in the comments. But there's no need to make a testicle, a spectacle. Sorry. And if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a five-star review and a kind word. Every one of those makes a big difference, and I'd really appreciate it, even if you're listening on YouTube. And remember, we're accepting submissions, so if you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on this show, send it to me at drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll be whisked away to a tropical island, and I'll read your story on the show. Or, depending on our budget that week, I may just have to read your story on the show. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, my friends, at least until next time. So grab a drink for the road, but don't go too far. We've got unfinished business to attend to. Until next week, old chap, may the rains fall soft upon your fields. May the sun shine warm upon your face. And if none of that happens where you're at, just enjoy the cold weather. Bye, y'all. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.